This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. All right, this is Psalm 119, starting in verse 25. Do, do, do. Okay. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I told you my plans, and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all of my heart. Make me walk along the paths of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. Amen. 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 Good job, Mrs. Come on, does anyone in here love Jesus? I said, come on, does anybody in here love Jesus? I'm talking about a love of a resurrection praise that he came and he died for you. Come on, I'm talking about we're about to have church in here today. Does anyone have that kind of love for Jesus in here? Sorry, I got a little excited. You guys can have a seat. Man, Pastor Mark, thank you. For all the nice things, I'll buy you lunch today. Thank you for saying all those kind things about me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, man, it's an honor to be here. Uh, not something to be taken lightly, but um, I'm excited. And I have an expectation that uh, the Word of God is uh, going to cause us to be set free. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't take a, a moment before we get started um, and, and before we get started, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to read out of that. But I do just want to take a moment and give honor where honor is due. And I want to say thank you, Pope Jean and Mama June. Thank you so much. I know I've said it before, but it can't be said enough. <laughs> For all of the years of seed planting and all of that. So thank you so much. And Thank you for teaching us about the third finger of fellowship in the first service. And, and Pastor Mark and, and Miss Robin, thank you for your heart to disciple people, for your heart to, for the kingdom and, and to build and, and for what you've done for me personally. Thank you so, so much. Today, uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to him, being Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors had, uh, was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Verse 25, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called to the man he had for, uh, that he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king set, sent the man to prison to be tortured till he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I want to pick up Pastor Derek's message from where he left off. And the last point of uh, the last point of Derek's message was the father has extravagant forgiveness. And I want to talk to you from the thought from the subject of the flow of forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, and we stand on that and that alone. Let your word come forth and be the foundation of how we move forward. Let it be the foundation and what we can stand on in, in the present and in the future. And let our future and let our past catch up to stand on your word as well. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I, I grew up uh, in a chaotic household. Um, growing up since uh, from about the time of middle school, and even really before that, I guess fourth or fifth grade, I can remember um, when uh, there was peace, it was short moments of peace. Because my dad, and, and I'll preface this with, I love my parents, and um, I I'm, wouldn't be where I am without my mom and dad. I love them dearly. I'm thankful for them. But growing up, my dad, he would leave for uh, no one knows how, how long at a time. Sometimes it would be for a week, and then he would be back. Sometimes it would be for three weeks, and then he'd be back. Sometimes it would be for a day, and then he'd be back. Sometimes it would be for four months, and then he would be back. And this cycle continued from about fourth or fifth grade all the way through um, graduating high school. And every time he would come back, my mom would forgive him, let him back in the house. And, um, but when he came back, it was like peace for a few hours. And then hellacious things would start again, yelling, cussing, screaming, fighting, stomping, throwing things, beating things. 
And uh, my room and, and one of the houses we lived in was in the basement. So I'm just sitting down there as a middle schooler and all of this ruckus and chaos I can just remember. And I just wanted to hide and disappear into the smallest corner of the house while all that, because I'm a peacemaker. I'm, I, I, I want things to be at peace. And so I hate that this is going on. And so the cycle is continuing. And by the way, when my dad leaves and he goes out, he's going to be with other women. He's going to, to, to go to bars and to hang out and to do whatever he does. No one really knows. He's just not being present. He's not being a father. He's not being responsible. He's kind of fed up, and he wanted to forget his responsibilities but would feel guilty and then come back, and my mom would forgive him, and then he would leave and feel guilty and then come back and then be selfish. And, then, and so the cycle continued, and I, and, I, and I witnessed how much that it hurt my mom that she always stayed. She worked, she worked um, at least one, if not two, jobs to help sustain everything. They never really got divorced, so there wasn't really any child support involved or any legal things involved, and so she always worked uh, really hard to make things and meet, make ends meet. And, um, and, I, and I think that, the most, that uh, the most hurtful thing to me was witnessing as a middle schooler and then a high schooler how much hurt my mom and my brother and my sister and the effect that that hurt carried on with them. So this all happened growing up. My dad was in the military growing up in Washington State. So this cycle continued. And my freshman year in 2004, we moved from Washington State to Douglasville, Georgia, which is a culture shock in itself. If you've ever been to Washington State, it's almost an entirely different country. I mean, everything is different. Um, there's evergreen trees everywhere, apples, and rain all the time, like I feel right at home today. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, it's, it, and then moving to Georgia, it was, it was different. People say y'all, and they call a cart a buggy, and every soda's a Coke, and it was a real culture shock. And uh, so in 2004, we moved, and we moved as a family, and it was kind of the hope of, of uh, a new start, that our family would be happy. My mom had forgiven dad again. Dad had made a commitment. I'll never do it again. And so now we're kind of getting a fresh new start here on the west side of Atlanta. And um, it was supposed to be great. And things went well for a while. And then the cycle continued again. And we lived here for about two years to the day. And it, my dad maybe left once or twice. And then um, he retired. And then we, we were going to do another start. My mom was willing to give him another chance. And we were going to do another fresh start, so my dad retired, and we moved to D.C., and things were going well for a while, and then um, it kind of really hit the fan, because I've seen how the toll that, it, that my dad's relationship with my brother and my sister have had, and that with my mom that it's had, and um, things are seemingly going well. Things are getting better. We're living in D.C., um, and, and we're just kind of trucking along. And one day, it was just me and my dad left at the house, and I, I remember it vividly. I was walking through the kitchen, and he was in the front yard, and he had left his phone on the island in the kitchen. And I wasn't trying to snoop. I wasn't being nosy, but it was a weird, coincidental moment where I walk past the kitchen island, and his phone lights up, and so it catches my attention. And it's some random woman's name that... Um, I don't know, and that he shouldn't know. 
And so all of a sudden, I see red because, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I had hoped that the family was getting back together. I had hoped that everything was going well. And, um, and all of a sudden, some random woman's name comes up on his phone screen. So I go and meet my dad out in the front of the house on the porch, and he's walking up. And I don't really remember what I said. I was kind of blacked out. Um, but all I remember is confronting him. Well, what's, what's up with this? Something to that degree. And he acts baffled and like he doesn't know. And that just enrages me further. And there's a skateboard sitting right there to my right. So I reach down and pick, pick it up. And in my head, I run a scenario where I take the skateboard to my father's head. <clears throat> and instead of doing that, I'm so enraged. He's probably, I'm up on the porch and he's right down here. And I take it and I take the skateboard and I hit the post that's um, on the porch and uh, flying across probably about four or five feet is a chunk of wood out of the post. And in that moment, when I'm watching the piece of wood fly across, I realize if I had taken the skateboard to my dad's head, I would have killed him. So I leave in a panic and I go up to my room. And I don't really remember much after that, except for my dad moved out across town. And I was extremely, extremely bitter. Uh, I knew Jesus, and I knew the forgiveness that he had extended to me. But um, I, was, I was deeply, deeply hurt. One, for the neglect that he had shown me as his oldest son. And, and the, the toll and the impact that I was witnessing it take on my younger brother and sister. And more dearly to my heart, the torment that it caused my mom and the stress and the anxiety and um, the rejection and all those things that uh, my mom would, would walk through for years and years and years uh, in the past and now to come. So um, that happened in about 2006, and I was a junior in high school at that time, and uh, my parents just kind of cohabitated in the same community. They lived across town, and it kind of became this weird thing where they would, um, we lived 45 minutes outside of D.C., and some days um, they would carpool into the city, and some days they wouldn't. Some weeks they would be fine with each other, but still living across town from each other. Um, and it was just kind of this weird thing, and I always just kind of resented my dad for it. Um, you know, the kind of bitterness where, he would just call me and talk to me once in a blue moon. And um, I didn't want to talk to him because just the sound of his voice would be like nails on a chalkboard and it would set me off. I mean, just rage and anger. I mean, he would, he would be saying nice things like, oh, hey, Ryan, I love you, I miss you. But just the fact, the tone of his voice, and I had so much bitterness that um, I, I couldn't even talk to him. I would yell, cuss, scream, and then hang up. And he would be like, well, I don't understand why Ryan's mad at me. And I didn't know how to forgive him. And so um, that's kind of what I want to talk about today is this flow of forgiveness. Now, I understand that hurts and pains and bitterness are very, very, very real things. But let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. And let's go back to verse 21, where, where Peter 
says, he, he comes to Jesus and he asked, how often should we forgive somebody's sins? And he says, seven times? I know we have some Bible scholars in here, but for those of you that may not know, Peter was shooting for the stars when he said the number seven, right? He thought, ooh, I'm about to blow Jesus' mind. I've already done it once. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to have a mic drop moment with Jesus. How many times should we forgive? Because the Jewish custom was they had taken this theology from the prophet Amos, falsely, that said that you should only forgive three times. And then you draw a line in the sand, and then, well, that person's just going to have to deal with the wrath of God. And so Peter says seven times. Oh, I'm going to double it and add one. Plus, I know Jesus has been using like the number seven, and it must be something real divine. And I know that. And so, boom, I'm going to have a mic drop moment. And Jesus says, no, (laughs) you're not even close to what you're supposed to be at. He says, "Uh, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I believe that uh, as believers and from this Jewish culture, humans in general, we like things that are measurable, right? Well, if, uh, if I go to church this many times, I'm going to get this many blessings. If, if, uh, if I do this, then I'm going to get that. If, uh, if I think this way, then I'm going to get this thing. We like measurable things, right? I mean, if, uh, if today I weigh 392 pounds, but I stop eating Mexican food every day with Pastor Mark, I may weigh only 300 pounds, bless God. Um, we like measurable things. That's why we do diets, and that's why uh, we, we have salaries and, and all of those things. We, we like things that are measurable. I was here today, and then tomorrow I'm going to be here, and I've come this far, and I'm going that way. We, we enjoy measurable things because we can comprehend it. And so I think the same thing is true with forgiveness. That the Jewish custom, it was easy to adopt to say, well, three. Because if I forgive somebody three times, I can keep track. Well, Shiloh offended me twice. One more time, and you're out, bud. I'm never going to talk to you again. Um, and, 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 uh, and Miss Susan, she's offended me one and a half times, and so I'll come back to you. I can keep track of that. And, and Miss Carrie, she's offended me one time. Um, and, and, and David, he's offended me a couple of times, so I can keep track of that. Chris almost offended me once, so I can measure three, right? And so Peter's saying, well, at least seven. We can keep track of seven, right? I can keep track. Oh, Pastor Mark. He's up to five now, so I can give, I can still keep track, right? Seven, that's obtainable in my human mind and all the interactions that I have. And, and Kay's up to six and a half, so a half, if he looks at me the wrong way again, he's going to be cursed to hell in the name of Jesus. Because I can measure how, how good my forgiveness is. We enjoy measurable things and, and things that I can control and, and I can keep control of and I can keep a tally of and I can keep a memory of. So if I can't do three, I'm going to blow Jesus' mind with seven. And, but seven is still in my control, right? I can still control the amount of forgiveness that I'm extending to those that are around me and those that may not be around me. I can control and I can measure it. And, I, and it's a safe thing because, well, later down the road, I know I can remember how much you've offended me, how much you've hurt me, how much bitterness you've caused in my life. I forgave you, but I remember. And so Jesus says, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven. 
Jesus wasn't trying to, to create some math equation that you would get out a scroll and begin to tally down how many times people hurt you, stabbed you in the back, offended you, did you wrong, cheated you, uh, talked bad about you. He wasn't trying to get you to keep tally with some set, well, well, well let me get out my calculator. Well, what, 70 times 7? I'm a youth pastor. I'm not an accountant. Uh, that's why Michael does such a good job, and I don't. And um, No, he wasn't trying to do that. He was trying to create something beyond Peter's imagination, beyond what he could even fathom, beyond what we can control, beyond what I can, what I can hold on to. Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. Don't even keep count. It's so many times that you can't even, you, you, you lose count of how many times we're to forgive somebody. See, a guilty person, a guilty person wants mercy. An innocent person wants justice. Oh man, that I want justice for my dad. I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know what it was. I didn't know how it was going to come about. All I wanted to, I wanted him to feel the same thing that the rest of the family felt. His selfishness, his, his lack of concern, his, his lack of presence, his lack of fatherhood, his lack of, 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 of just being there, being available, his lack of, of keeping the peace and, 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 and just not being there. Oh, man, did I want justice to be served to my dad. So how was I going to do it in my wisdom, in my way? I was going to do the same thing that he did. I'm just going to ignore you. I'm going to turn my back on you. And hopefully that's just a, 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 a little bit of what we have felt, of what Ryan has felt. Oh, I'm going to serve justice to you. Come on, an innocent person doesn't need mercy. An innocent person wants justice, right? But mercy, mercy is I have something coming to me because I'm guilty and it's withheld. Verse, uh, verse 22, sorry, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring up his accounts to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in, in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. He was guilty of taking money that he couldn't pay back, millions of dollars. And so now the king, the master, is going to call up his debts and say, it's time to pay up, buddy. So, so the guy, the servant, he says, he asked for what? He asked for mercy. He says, just give me a little bit more time. Have pity on me, and I will pay it back. But isn't it just like God? To do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask, think, or imagine. More than he could imagine. The, the, the servant couldn't even imagine the fact that the debt would be totally wiped out. Millions of dollars. All he asked for is more time. I need an extension on the loan. I'll pay it back. I don't know how, I don't know when, I, but I'm just going to do it butt cheeks tight and I'm going to try to pay it back as best I can. 
But here, the master has mercy on him. He's ready to collect now, but he has pity on him. And he says, never mind, I've canceled the debt. It's totally wiped out. Come on, that's the grace of God right there. Mercy is I have something coming to me and it's withheld. But grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Come on. You, we have an inkling of what we actually deserve, right? Isaiah 59 verse 2 talks about how our iniquities cause a separation between us and the Father. That, that, that because of our sinful nature, that we are inherently separated from a heavenly Father. That we're inherently separated from the blessing of God. That we're inherently separated from eternity in heaven, that we're in, inherently separated from the power of the Holy Spirit, from peace, joy, patience, kindness, and self-control. We're inherently separated from those things. That we don't deserve it, but the mercy of God, but the grace of God, that God so loved the world that he would send his only begotten son, that he would die for you and as you. Why? To show mercy upon us. To give us forgiveness. To give us grace. So that we can what? Have a new life. I can stand on a solid rock. My foundation can be firm. My future is assured up. Come on. Because Jesus died for me. I've been made brand new. The old has passed away. And the new has come. That's called the mercy of God. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But by the grace of God. I got saved when um, I'd come into Douglasville in 2004. 2004, um, subdivisions were a new thing to us when we had lived in the subdivision. They don't have subdivisions, I guess, in Washington. And, uh, and so uh, having a pool in our neighborhood was a, like, a crazy idea, and so we were there every every day of the summer, and uh, we were just hanging out in this pool by the pool, and uh, this guy that was my age, um, Charles, oh Charles, man, one day I'll do a, a sermon called Charles. But <laughs> Charles knew no stranger, and he came and he befriended me, and he invited me to come to church, and. Uh, Man, the power of an invitation. So I, I was in high school. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anything better to do. So yeah, I'll go to church with you. Started going to church. And I had come to encounter this revelation that God loved me so much that, um, that he had forgiven me, that he made me new, all those things. And I had given my life to Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, then we had moved to D.C. And I had still carried this bitterness around. Carried it around for a long time. Uh, I carried it around um, through high school. I carried it around when I graduated high school. I carried it around in 2010 when I came back to Douglasville. I carried it around when I was in ministry school because I had a calling on my life. Uh, so I'm in ministry school, and I can't talk to my dad. He maybe might want to have a relationship with me, but I have no desire. 
I'm so angry, I'm so bitter, I'm so hurt that I have to move away I'm, and I have to follow the calling of God, uh, but I don't want to have anything to do with my father. But I'm wrestling with God for about two years while in ministry school. I'm going to be a youth pastor one day. I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother, but I just don't think that I can. And more importantly, I'm going to have to help lead the next generation in honoring their father and mother. So God, I don't know if this is even going to, this whole thing is even going to work out. Uh, I don't even know if you've called the right guy. And see, the, the enemy begins to get you to doubt. That's how deep bitterness can go. Well, now I can't have a relationship with my father. Now I can't even have a right relationship with God. Now I can't even have a right relationship with myself. Now I have stress, anxiety, occupying all my thoughts. This is what bitterness does. Designed by the enemy. Come on, let's take spirituality out of it altogether. Just the stress and the weight that it puts on you, the, the, how, how bitterness just occupies your mind. And because it occupies your mind, it occupies your actions. Oh, well, I can't go there. I can't even drive down that street because so-and-so lives there. Oh, and she did me wrong. Ooh, uh, I can't even go to that church. I can't even sit in that row. I can't even sit on that side. Uh, uh-oh, am I stepping on some? T- because bitterness begins to occupy everything you do. It begins to control and to manipulate you. There's something powerful about the flow of forgiveness. I said, I said it. I can't. I don't think I could forgive him. I don't think I can. And then this revelation, Matthew chapter 18, <laughs> that the servant that had received mercy and then received grace went to his people that he had credited alone to. And then they came and they asked for the same mercy that he did. Not forgiveness, but an extension of time. And what did he say? No, now. And here's the weird thing. I don't even know how you pay the debt back this way, but he said he threw him in jail. (laughs) And I don't know how you can pay a debt back in jail. I haven't figured that one out yet, but that's the brilliance of this guy is no, you owe me now. So I'm just going to throw you in jail. Well, word gets back to the king. And he says, no, I'm going to throw you in to be tortured with the jailer. This revelation of I can't came to me. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Um, I don't have it on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. Matthew 6. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And this is where it kind of hurts a little. Verse 12. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And let us not yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. And then he he brings it back up again in the very next sentence, verse 14. 
if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I was like, God, I do not like that measuring stick. (laughs) You're telling me that my forgiveness from a heavenly father is entirely dependent on my forgiveness to those around me. You're telling me that my salvation and my forgiveness is dependent on how much I can forgive my dad? God, I left him alone. I live in Georgia. He lives in D.C. But it was becoming so bad that even the thought of my father was disrupting my peace, disrupting my sleep, was disrupting the way I interacted with people because I was becoming so insecure. It was eating away at me. And then um, David and Missy White are familiar with this ministry. It's called Forgiving Forward. Dr. Bruce Hebel, did I say his name right? Hebel. Dr. Bruce Hebel came and he taught this message a little bit differently. And uh, I was sitting there, and he has these seven steps. And the first step is, is to ask the Holy Spirit, God, is there anyone that I have forgiveness? And I'm sitting there in the middle of ministry school. We are going to this event at the church, and, and I'm thinking, I'm in ministry school, dude. I'm, I'm good. I don't, bitterness, dude. I'm about to be a pastor. What are you talking about? Uh, I can straighten chairs like nobody. Come on, man. I've been on mission trips, bro. I don't got bitterness. That's for the birds. I'm literally sitting there thinking about that. I'm listening. I'm taking it in. I'm taking notes. And, um, and, the, and I do, I ask. I'm humble enough to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anyone? And immediately my dad comes to my mind. Mm. So the next step is, is, is to begin to, to declare, God, I pray that you forgive And you begin to list out the specific things. So I sat there at my table and I began to ask God, would you forgive my dad for leaving me, for hurting me, for hurting my mom, for hurting my brother, for hurting my sister? Then the next step is you ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything that I forgot? There was. God, I I pray you forgive him for rejecting me. I pray that you you forgive him for not being a good father to me. I pray that... And I began to go down the list. And then the last step is the the step of making sure that you have totally forgiven them. And here's the mark of true forgiveness, is if you can bless them. And so that was a big one. And I couldn't, so I was like, well, there must be more. So I went back. God, I pray that you forgive them for this, for this. And I got to the end, and it's a humbling thing. It kind of takes all the pride out of a young man. And uh, I prayed, God, I pray that you bless him. And didn't mean I was going to get money out of my pocket and send it to him or even tell him. In fact, I didn't tell anybody. The next week, I get a call from my mom. I try to talk to her about once a week this time. And uh, we're talking. Oh, hey, what you doing, Mom? 
oh, me and dad are doing blah, blah, blah. And I was like, because they had been living across town this whole time. I said, what'd you say? Oh, me and dad were doing blah, blah, blah. I forgot what they were doing, but it was something. <laughs> like going to Walmart or something, I don't remember. And then all of a sudden, the bitterness tried to come back up. And I started to kind of get mad because, Mom, you're letting this dude back in. It's going to hurt you again. And we got to go through the whole cycle, years of the cycle, all over again. And I was trying to take it back into control. And immediately, the Holy Spirit said, shut your mouth. <laughs> kind of what Pastor Mark just said. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth. So I did. I said, oh, that's awesome. And I had to just kind of get off the phone because... <laughs> I was going to say something. Then the next week, I called back. Hey, Mom, what you doing? Oh, Dad's moving in. Oh, all right. Oh, he's selling his condo. He's going to move into my duplex. All right. Call back a month later. How are you and Dad? And we're great. We're doing good. And now that was in 2012. Now they've been together ever since then. And, and they still bicker and fight like any old married couple does. But, man, they love each other. And there hasn't even been a hint of wanting to leave and separate and chaos and all of that. And I attribute that as a miracle to forgiveness. The flow of forgiveness. I didn't do anything kooky, like call my dad and say, well, I forgive you. For what? I didn't even know there was an offense. No, I just, I sat down with my heavenly father and I said, I know that you've forgiven me, so I will forgive my dad and I'll bless him. And because I blessed him, I believe God blessed my family and he brought them back together. The mark of forgiveness. How do I know if I've truly forgiven somebody? It doesn't mean that you're going to get back into a relationship with that person entirely. Because maybe you've, honestly, you, you, it could have been an abusive relationship. So it doesn't mean that you need to go back there. So someone could be manipulating you, but because you forgive them doesn't mean that the, that's not the mark of forgiveness. The mark of forgiveness is if you can release mercy to them. Here's how I know that. If we go backwards in, in Matthew 18, in, in, in the part that we, the first half that we didn't read, uh, Jesus is telling, he's teaching about how to deal with offenses in the church. Well, first, you go to your brother in private. Well, if that doesn't work, you bring two or three friends with you. And if that doesn't work, you bring them before the church. And if that doesn't work, you throw them out like a pagan. But sandwiched in between that teaching and then this parable uh, is something that I thought was kind of interesting, and it seemed kind of out of place until I started studying this. Matthew chapter 18, um, verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask my Father in heaven, 
will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together as many followers, I am there among you. In other words, if you've asked for forgiveness and you're coming to your heavenly father to ask for anything, what does it say? It says that it will be given to you. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds like mercy. That sounds like grace to me. So the mark of forgiveness, if, it's, if, if it is asked for, you can give it. That if it is asked to bless somebody, you can bless them. Because I, I don't know about you, if I'm bitter and I'm holding unforgiveness, I'm, I can't. It's, it's not in my ability. So the true mark, how I truly know I've forgiven somebody is if I can bless them. I don't have to tell them. I don't have to send them a, a, some money. I don't have to write them a letter. I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is say, Heavenly Father, you're connected to them, so I'm just going to ask you to bless them. And that in itself is a humbling thing to do. So Cameron's going to come up, and we're going to take communion. Communion representing the bread representing the body of Christ, that it was broken, that his body was broken and beaten beyond recognition so that the broken pieces of my life where people have stabbed me in the back, have hurt me, wounded me, rejected me. I let them in close. I was vulnerable with them and they took my vulnerability and turned it and twisted it against me. Where they cheated me and lied to me and stole from me. Oh, that the body of a Savior was broken so that I could be saved. So that the times that I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've used someone's vulnerability and twisted it against them, that I could be restored. But even more so, so that those that have done it to me, they could be restored. And then the juice representing the blood of Jesus and atonement for the times that I've turned my back on God and for the times that I faced God but spat in his face that I would be made new and washed white as snow but even more so for the times that others have turned their back on me but when they were facing me spat in my face that they could be made white as snow and have a new beginning. So as we take communion today, I encourage you to just take a few more minutes than maybe normal and maybe take it back to your seat or, uh, but don't let this moment pass you by to, to take this and to let it be a moment of forgiveness Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe there's someone that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind that you've been bitter towards and you've held forgiveness from. To let it be a moment of communion with Jesus to say, God, I know you've forgiven me. And then do that thing that I had to do. God, I pray that you forgive them for and be very specific God, before I take this communion as a remembrance of what you did on the cross, God, I pray that you forgive them for, 
And then I like what Pastor Mark teaches. They no longer owe me anything. Why? Because the debt has already been paid by what this communion represents. And so because they don't owe me anything, I don't just extend their debt and their time to pay it back. I pray that you bless them with freedom. And then, because Jesus commanded it, Paul reminded us, we take the communion and we eat it as a remembrance of what Jesus did for us and to those around us. Father, forgive me as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.